I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, the book of Peter, Second Peter, chapter 1. We're going to read from there in a moment. And uh, to let you know that uh, this is the first message in a, in a new series. The series title is The Spiritual Word. And I'll tell you right away why I'm talking on this, because I want you to know that the Word of God is not only a sure word, but it's a spiritual word, and it's a powerful word. And we need to reinvest our confidence and build our life on the revelation of God through Scripture, the Word of God. But today I'm focusing on a sure word of prophecy. It's the assurance that we have that the Scripture is the infallible prophetic word from God, and we can build our lives on it. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A sure word, a sure word of prophecy. Now, we are very largely, well, we are a Pentecostal church and very largely charismatic, and we often use the word prophecy to mean lots of things. Legitimately so, a word of prophecy that we give one another for encouragement and for strengthening, sometimes predictive prophecies, sometimes directive prophecies, all very carefully conducted and properly tested. But I want you to know that the word prophecy used in this context is not about the gift of prophecy that congregational members can participate in. It is the sure word of prophecy in its purest sense and its fullest sense, God's very word. Prophecy is the word of God. Now, when we prophesy to one another, our prophecies are judged by the standard, the gold standard of the word of God. And so, without establishing the revelation of God's Word in Scripture, we would have no means by which we could test out words given to one another. Please always test those out or test out what other people are saying or test out what we hear on the internet or test out what is being taught in schools. No, no, there's only one sure word of prophecy which becomes the ultimate test of truth concerning anything else that we hear. Very, very 
bold claims, I know, but that is at the heart of our faith as Christians. The key verse, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, no prophecy of scripture, no word from God, which is recorded in the scripture, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the series, I'm going to examine the true spiritual nature and total trustworthiness of the Word of God, the God-breathed words of Scripture. They are spirit and life, the words that Jesus spoke about his own teaching when he said, the words I give you, they are spirit and life. And Peter acknowledged, you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. What Jesus said about his own teaching is applied to the whole of Scripture. So the Word of God is not just an academic record, an historical record, a collection of writings. The Scripture, all the books of the Bible, are for us the means of life. God's life-giving Spirit is imparted to us. Now, one of the questions that people ask, what is the purpose of Scripture? And many of us would answer correctly that the Bible is God's manual for life and living. In it, we discover how we should live, what we should believe, how we understand the world around us. And I put it to you today that as true as that is, it is a manual for life and living. It is more. It is life. God's word is life. And we read scripture to receive the life of God that is in his word, to receive illumination and strength. And as we reflect on the word of God, we're lifted up into the higher realms of the thinking and revelation of God. And we need that today. A sure word. A sure word. Where do we find that today? Wherever do we find it? In the world of fake news, alternative facts, we're living in a post-truth society. Anybody who says, right, we live in a post-truth society, ask them, is post-truth true? <laughs> and uh, if it is, you're not living in a post-truth society. And, it, uh, and if it's untrue, we shouldn't listen to them in the first place. So this idea today that kind of anything goes, your opinion is as good as my opinion. I had a long conversation with somebody recently in which I was uh, dipping into 30 years of the study of theology and ministry at a high level in, in Kensington Temple and other places. And at the end of this, this young man said to me, well, thank you for your opinion. And I kind of felt a bit deflated because, you know, yeah, of course it's my opinion, but it's not an opinion that I've come to on my own my opinions, I want them all to be checked out. Whatever I say, anything, including from this pulpit, you have to check out uh, uh, by the scripture itself to check. But it's not just because I say it, it's true. But, but very often, people who have studied and, and, and spent time studying theology, studying the Bible, reading it through repeatedly many, many, many times, uh, doing university programs, also continuing to study right on into late, later life, and not just Christianity, but other religions. And there's a whole lot to be gained from somebody who has some knowledge. And anyway, who would you go to? 
Paulette was talking about the time when there was the potential that lumps in her body could have pointed to cancer. So what did she do? Did she call up her best friends and say, what do you think about this? Well, she got advice, but the advice was pray hard, go to the doctors. But, but eventually she found herself before medical experts. I don't know which particular medical expert, but very often people who are brought into this kind of position will go to see an oncologist and somebody uh, often very high up who is very skilled and knowledgeable about how cancers develop, how you can test whether this is benign or not, and, and all that knowledge. And, and can you imagine, that? Let's, let's keep Paulette out of it now because she didn't go down this route, but can you imagine somebody in Paulette's position going to the doctor and, and, and being referred to the highest level of, of specialty that there is there? And uh, the doctor says, well, you know, um, well, I, I, what I'd like to say to you is, and so the person stops and says, hold it right there. That's just your opinion. I'm not interested in your opinion I'll just tell you my opinion. Now, there is a validity about how we think and feel, but we must remember that opinions are to be evaluated to check out whether those opinions relate to fact or reality or not. And so the idea that there is today that everybody's opinion is kind of equally valid, oh, this is my opinion and it must be true because I've just posted it on Instagram. Oh, really? I don't know what you find on the internet, but I find some stuff which is wholly untrue and very misleading. So we have to learn to be discerning, but also to recognize that, that not every word we receive, whether it is from the news media or whether it even from our lectures or professors necessarily, or, or, or our best friends or any you know, confidant on social media, that they're not necessarily telling the truth just because they're giving you their sincere opinion. And I say this because I think some of you are surfing YouTube far too much. I don't know that. I kind of suspect it, that there's a lot of stuff being put out there and all kinds of scare stories, scaremongering, and all kinds of stuff which is not based in fact. It's extremely difficult for us simple uh, uh, news consumers to get to the facts. And I'm trying in every news report and every matter of opinion that's expressed to try and get to the facts, and that's an important thing. How much more when it comes to our spiritual life and claims made about God and our relationship with him, how much more should we be sure that we have something dependable, a sure word from God? Well, is it a sure word? And that's what I'm going to ask very briefly. Now, uh, mainly my intention today is to encourage you to put more and more confidence in the Word of God than you've ever done before, to study it more dutifully, to reflect on it more purely than ever before, more, more determinedly than ever before, and to allow it to work in your life in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit in you, to encourage you to bear fruit and to get deeper and deeper into God through the Word and the Spirit, the Word of God speaking to your heart, the Spirit of God activating that Word and producing fruit in your life through the process which the Bible calls sanctification, which really is about walking with Jesus and becoming more like him as a disciple of his.
Is there a sure word of Scripture? The second reading, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, is the, is the second major Bible reference to the Bible's teaching concerning its own authority. 2 Timothy 3, Paul writing to younger Timothy, who was his prodigy and, and, and Paul was mentoring him, young man in the ministry, and, and these are the words that Paul encourages him with, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder. Amen. We carry on. Verse 13. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've got to acknowledge this. There are people who have really not, not very good motivation allowing themselves to be deceived and deceiving others. Deception is, I think, number one spiritual problem out there today. And I think it's still one of our enemies, number one methods of attacking us. And that is by spewing out deception, stuff which is not true, deceiving things. Even the Bible talks about doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits. And let's not get too carried away with that thought, except to say that behind every false teaching, every false idea, every false philosophy, every false ideology is a, an operation of our spiritual enemy to deceive us and to take us away from the truth and simplicity that there is in Christ. Let's keep on reading. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I think this is a great word of encouragement. Um, you know, just by, by me being here today and passing this scriptural word on to you, I think I'm giving to you something that is so important and it's so relevant and I really pray you take it to heart. As for you, continue in what you have learned. So Paul was wanting to encourage Timothy. He was a, a young Bible teacher, Bible preacher, young church leader, pastor and teacher and um, he was probably struggling and, and, you know, in a world where there's so many contradictory statements and claims for this and claims for that, Paul reminded him, Timothy, don't ever depart from the scriptures. Don't ever depart from the word of God. And gave him a little reminder of his history. He said, you know, you, you've learned this from a child onwards. You've learned this. Your mother and your grandmother taught you the Bible. Do you know what, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, grandmas and grandpas, myself included, <laughs> friends, family members, the best thing you can ever pass on to your children, onto the next generation, is an understanding of the Word of God and a love for the Word of God. In the nine o'clock service, I shared a brief testimony which 
possibly you're familiar with if you've seen the documentary that we produced on my life last year, uh, was that my mother, who recently went to be with Jesus, she was a staunch Anglican. Um, I mean, you know, in her own words, she, she was so Anglican that she couldn't read the Bible unless she was dressed with her Sunday best and her Sunday hat on. But nevertheless, she took us young kids, young boys, to church. And um, it was a mixed experience. I was very interested in the creative side of church life and tried to join the church choir until the choir master found out where the noise was coming from and then evicted me from the choir. A little later on, they allowed me to dance. Anyway, there's, that's another story. And, and I must say to you, and I, I don't mean this out of any disrespect to any of those former spiritual leaders, but, but the gospel message wasn't always made clear in a way that we, we try to do this as evangelical believers. But nevertheless, Sunday by Sunday, mainly through the, the old Anglican liturgy and with the lectionaries, with the scripture readings, you'd have a, have a gospel message, you'd have a, a Bible uh, a passage reading, and, and the whole Anglican liturgy is stocked full of scriptural references. So I, from my infancy, had a little bit of an understanding or at least knowledge of the Word of God. And we need to get back to that. Pass this on to your children and to your children's children. They will not be getting it by and large in schools. It's up to us to ensure that we impart scripture knowledge on to one another. And that's what we do very often in the cell group, cell meetings. If you're a new believer, make sure you're part of a cell group. In the Zoom room, they'll tell you how so that you can begin to learn the word of God. And so... Here we have it. The final verse, verse 16 and 17, the final section, 2 Timothy 2. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now that phrase, breathed out, is a very simple expression we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, meaning by that we mean the Holy Spirit has inspired it. But it's, not, it's true, but it's not the best image because if you inspire, you breathe into. But God's Word is not so much breathed into, but breathed out. It's the very Word of God. It says in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, by the breath of His mouth all their host. So the word of the Lord here is paralleled with the breath of his mouth. The word of the Lord is the breath of his mouth. Just as my word is coming to you on my breath, so the scripture is coming to you on the very breath of God. It is the very word of God. And that's interesting because today um, and in the 21st century, we'll see that was an issue for the very early believers as well in the first century. There's a lot of criticism concerning our belief that the Bible is the Word of God. Most often, people sit in judgment on it, judgment on the morality. They look at the violence, particularly in the Old Testament. They, they look at this idea of judgment. They don't like that. 
The idea that God defines what sin is and that he created us and we are subject to him and we must yield our lives to him, that cuts right against the philosophy of the age, which is all about me, myself, this expressive individualism. I can do whatever I want to do and nobody can tell me not what to do, not even you, God. And by the way, you haven't got much right, have you? Look at the mess that the world is in. That's the kind of thinking out there today. And uh, also... Back in the first century, it's very interesting how Peter expresses this. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Wait a bit. Back in that day, they were accusing what the apostles were preaching as preaching some kind of myth, some kind of invention, something that was not reliable. If they thought that in the first century, don't think the 21st century is going to be any different. In fact, it's nothing new. It's all made up. It's just a myth. No, no. Peter says, I'll tell you something. You may call it a myth, but we know it's not a myth. We were there. He explains the situation, which was the transfiguration when they heard the voice of God from heaven. And Peter says, we heard it. We were with him on the mountain. And no modern critic of the Bible can say that. They were not there. Peter was there, James and John were there, and we trust their testimony. Then he also goes on to say, but we have something even more sure, more certain, more certain than than the eyewitness testimony. What can be more certain than that? That's how sure the word of God is, because God did not just rely on people to say, "We we were there, we saw it, not just that, But actually, the revelation of God comes in the word of God, which God himself has spoken with authority, so sure, such a sure word of prophecy that you can stake your life on it. In fact, stake your eternal life on it. You can build your life on it. And you can cut through all the confusion of, you know, we should be living this way, we should be living that way, or, or this, this standard is old-fashioned, or that idea is, has passed its sell-by date. No, the Bible is God's fresh word. It is written, and God speaks forth his word as if it was now. So fresh is his word. Nothing comes by human interpretation. This wasn't, didn't originate in the opinions of men, but in the revelation of God. But you do need to know something. And I wonder if you ever thought about this. When we say that God inspired the Bible, what do we mean? I think some people picture it a bit like this. Let's, let's just take a, a scriptural author. Let's say Jeremiah. So one day Jeremiah gets up, minds his own business, makes his breakfast, and suddenly, bang, the Holy Spirit comes on him. And he goes into a kind of trance in which he's taken completely out of himself. And without knowing anything, he picks up his pen and starts to write. And when he comes out, he says, oh, oh, look what I've written. No, 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 no. That's the kind of dictation theory. God did not dictate it like that. God caused the word of God to emerge out of human experience. You read the scriptures, you've got different genres of literature, poetry, war stories, historical records, prophecy, all kinds of different genre 
of literature. You've also got people clearly speaking out of their own experience and recording and responding to historical events that took place. No, this, this, this is not some magical literature that descends from heaven fully made. This is God doing the far more complex work of working through people's minds and education and vocabulary, cultural experiences, and but in such a way as when holy men spoke, which they were speaking out of their own hearts and out of their own understanding, guided by God to the, such an extent that when they spoke, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to the destination of God's choice. So that, for example, when God wanted to say the kind of things that we read Paul writing, God raised up a Paul with all his education, with all his background, with all his experience to say exactly what God intended him to say. So the scriptures, in that sense, are the word of God and are therefore authoritative. Now, there are many things and questions about this, and you'd want to write to me, I'll perhaps answer some. I, uh, this, I'm not going to turn this into a Bible college lecture, but just to say there's a whole host of reasons why we have confidence in the word of God. But for us today, this is what I want to say. If the Spirit was instrumental in bringing us the Bible, he will also be essential to help us understand the Bible and to help us experience the God of the Bible and to put into practice the teachings of the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we've already seen how that Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. We've seen that the word of God comes upon his breath, which is another word for his spirit. The spirit inspired. The spirit was the key agent in writing the scriptures as humans cooperated with him. Why should we now turn to the Bible as a dead and dusty book without saying, God, take these words, make them live in me, open my eyes to your truth, let me see them, let me hear them. And that's the only way that you can internalize the scriptures so that God's word becomes alive in you and brings forth fruit through you. So what are the scriptures for? We read it. The key thing that the Bible is written for is to make you wise and knowledgeable for the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. The whole of the Bible is God's revelation to you that at the heart of the message and the heart of the revelation is Jesus Christ himself who came, who lived, who died on the cross, taught the kingdom, died on the cross, was raised again from the dead to offer life and salvation to everyone who believes. And until you've come to understand that, then the whole purpose of the Bible has eluded you. So I call upon you today, get to the scriptures, go to the Zoom room and ask them. We will help you point you in the direction of what it means for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to know his, the forgiveness of God, the new life that comes from him, and the deep knowledge that you can walk with God 
every day of your life. And that journey will never end. It will just graduate into the future life. But then there's a whole list that Paul says in 2 Timothy. The scripture is profitable, useful. It has a practical use. And this is how we should go to the scripture. With an open mind, it's profitable for teaching, to show us, so for our understanding. It's profitable for reproof. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes being told, you know, that you're wrong. Most of my friends won't even listen when I say, listen, you've got to understand we are accountable for God and all have sinned and thought, stop it, don't use that word. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. But how about somebody who has made a real mess? Oh, he's in a real mess. And you know how to get out of it. And so you go to anybody who's got a little bit of wisdom to say, how did I get into this? Where did I go wrong? That can be one of the most healthy thick questions to ever ask, provided you're speaking to somebody who has an answer, not just to say, oh, this is where you've gone wrong, this is where you've messed up, but somebody not only who can reprove, but can correct to show you how to get out of that and how to live in a way that's different from that. Oh, you'll find that in the Bible. You will find reproof and correction for personality, for character, for moral choices, for problems, relationships. In every part of life, God's word will graciously reprove and correct. And then finally, it will bring you through to a life of righteousness. So have confidence in the Bible. Read, study, meditate, assimilate, internalize, actualize, and a whole other words which you can add to that. But most important of all, allow the Word and the Spirit to work in equal measure as you approach the Word of God, the sure Word of prophecy.